When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to the 27th episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host today, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon. Arjun, how are we doing today? Not doing the best, fellas. Um, we, you know, for, for those who follow me on Twitter, they know I, I'm a big cricket fan. And unfortunately, India lost to one of our biggest rivals, England, in a pretty convincing fashion. So it wasn't it wasn't the greatest of mornings, especially since I had to wake up at 3 a.m. Eastern and stay up for that game. Uh, so kind of running on no sleep right now, but it's okay. You know, grind on stop and um, always here to talk ball and excited to talk about this upcoming slate. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I I do respect the the commitment that you had to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning to watch that game. And I, I was thinking about, you know, with the London or sorry, the Germany game this week being Seahawks Buccaneers. I think that's like kind of the best game that we have on sunday just think about if i was on the west coast um you know we're both on the east coast right now would would yeah. you wake up at, at 6 30 to, to watch these overseas games when when they happen when you were in california yeah i would i mean you can't just for me you can never like um miss out on football during football season like because once the summer rolls around you're kind of just like oh i want it to be back i want it to be back and if you're not taking advantage of every game mm -hmm. um then i don't really think you know you're that dedicated to the craft and especially now that you know we're betting on games um it's you know there's, there's definitely more of a stake and more of a uh more of a reason to kind of watch these games even if some of them may, may not be that good mm -hmm. yeah no, that, that's true and like that moment for me kind of happened when uh, like when COVID happened and like there were literally no sports on, like there was nothing to do for months. And I was like, wow, like I was like taking football games for granted. Yeah. And, like I would skip like the occasional like Monday night game to like watch Netflix or something. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that again. Like I, I miss sports too much right now. But <laughs> so, yeah, we'll we'll get into that that uh, Germany game here. So CX Bucks and I want to start with the quarterbacks right now. And like, dare I say, like the quarter the Seahawks have the quarterback advantage in this game right like when you look at what geno smith is doing this year nothing is fluky about his performance he's not playing in a gimmicky offense a heavy play action a heavy rpo offense he's not having he has good receivers great receiver a great receiving duo but he doesn't have like all pro receivers uh you know with dk metcalf and tyler lockett so from like a pure passing standpoint Gino leads the league in nfl fast stars completion percentage over expected um you know it, it's helped by dk and lockett being really good at the catch point and you know, other than taking the most sacks in the league, he's taken 21 sacks this year. Um, you know, the, those sacks have lost 35 total EPA, which is the 10th most. So although he's taken a decent amount of sacks, he's not taking bad sacks. That's like moving the Seahawks out of yeah. field goal range. But just from a passing standpoint, I think Gino is throwing the ball better than Brady is right now when, when you put it all together. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so the weird thing about this game is like the betting markets are still treating the Bucks, like they're the better team. We can technically call Germany a neutral field, even though I, I, I think we'll probably see more Bucks fans than Seahawks fans. But it's it's interesting that like Gino's kind of kept up this level of performance. And one of the things you've written about, uh, I think you wrote about it two weeks ago in one of your futures pieces. But like we we kind of know about an offense's EPA per play. Like we know how it's going to be for the remainder of our season at this point in the year, right? Like it's week ten, and that you know, week 10 EPA generally correlates well with week 18 or week 17 EPA per play. So like, this is the kind of performance we're going to, we're going to be getting from Gino. And like, dare I say, like, you're right. Like, I think Gino's kind of been a little bit better than Brady, right? Like, I think the one thing that people can hold against Brady, right. Or like use as a reason to explain Brady's play is the play calling hasn't been there. And, you know, mm. you know Byron left, which is uh, over reliance on first and second down runs have been horrendous. But again, like I, I think Gino is kind of working with less. And um, you know, the the thing with Gino is like he didn't even have a full offseason with his offense. Like he was banged up at one point and he was also splitting first first team reps with 
Drew Locke. So I I think right now Gino is the better quarterback. But again, the betting markets seem to think otherwise. And at the end of the day, the betting markets think that you know the Bucks are the better team here. But like to me, nothing has shown that the Bucks are the better team. I'm curious if you have that same sentiment. I I do think you know where the edge kind of lies with the Bucks is that you know with with Brady having the lowest time to throw in the league right now, he's not generating as many explosive plays as he's used to and like he he really like doesn't hasn't shown that he wants to get hit like through the first yeah. two weeks of the season you know i think that there might be like kind of like a change in mentality going forward um you know and that's like where like the betting markets are priced in because like what we talked about on the wednesday show the bucks problems on offense are fixable right like that it's avoiding a lot of first and 10 runs that go for zero yards yeah. you know brady can hold on to the ball longer and you know get rid of it when pressure comes and you know he's just not inviting as much pressure this year as usual. So if you kind of compound those things together, that's where I could see the Bucks having a better offense than the Seahawks. But I don't know if it happens in this particular game. Yeah, I I, I would tend to agree there. Um, and look, like I think we can all agree that the Bucks running game is is absolutely horrible. Uh, right now they're dead last in uh, rush EPA. I think they're averaging a negative 0.284 rush <laughs> EPA, which is one of the worst marks we've seen in a while. But it, that's just the state of their offensive line. That's the state of Leonard Fournette. Um, you know, the offensive line outside of Tristan Worse and Donovan Smith have not been that good. The interior is susceptible to interior pressure. And we've kind of, you kind of talked about it on the forecast the other day, but the Seahawks defense has been pretty good since mm-hmm. week five. Like the the week five was against the Cardinals in Seattle, shut down Kyler Murray, go into Los Angeles, shut down Justin Herbert. You know, he was, was playing with NPCs, but still only limited <laughs> him to two touchdowns, goes back into Arizona and has another, and they have another great performance. Like they're they're operating at all three levels. Uchenna Nwosu already has more sacks in a single season with the Seahawks in half a year than he did in any single season with the Chargers. <laughs> Shelby Harris, Puna Ford, all playing pretty well. Daryl Daryl Taylor, uh, Jordan Brooks, and um, Cody Barden, who are the Seahawks linebackers, are I think the weak link of this defense. And if, if there's any quarterback that knows how to take advantage of weak link linebackers, it's Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, but I think Tariq Woolen and uh, Ryan Neal, uh, Quandre Diggs have all been playing well on the back end. And I think, you know, our friend Judah kind of talked about in the forecast also, like this defense is playing with a lot of young guys and young guys tend to get better as the season progresses. They went through their early pains, growing pains early in the season, but now they're kind of rounding into form. And, you know, it's it's something that we, we kind of look forward to because our guy Sean Desai is also on the defensive coaching staff in Seattle. Yeah, I, yeah, no, that, that's true. Like the, the Seahawks defense when they were, Gino was playing completely lights out in the first four weeks of the season was one of the worst in the league. And all they had to do was get from bottom five to average to below average for the Seahawks to be a playoff team. And they've done that these past couple weeks. You mentioned, you know, Ryan Neal and like a stat that I really like using to, you know, evaluate defensive backs is tackles that prevent a successful play from the opposing offense, because it shows that those aren't just like fluff tackles where they let up along. The yeah. like, these are actual tackles where they're stopping them in, Michael Jackson and Ryan Neal both ranked top 15 in that metric this season. So, like, these are, like, they're coming up and they're they're making plays. And that's why they've shut down these offenses the past couple of weeks. And, like, this this entire, like, Seahawks defense, I think, has, like, really turned the corner. And, like, we have to give a lot of credit to Pete Carroll, I think, for developing the, the young players that, that they're rolling out, like you mentioned. And also kind of, like, having the vision for a defense that's going to increase, you know, their usage of cover six when they used to never yeah. play cover six, like two, three years ago. Now it's their second most used coverage. And it's like all, all the type of stuff that has gone into making this defense. We really have seen it being put together these past couple of weeks. Yeah. And I think, you know, last thing about that, you know, I think Brady's kind of struggled against the, um, has kind of struggled against some of these like split safety looks. He's averaging pretty much, a 0.00 EPA per play against cover six. He's averaging a negative 0.026 EPA per play versus cover one, which kind of goes into the fact that like none of his receivers are, have been able to get separation, which has kind of always been a like the, the Bucks thing, but Brady's always found a way to get it done. But I think this year more than anything, uh, he struggled to kind of get, find some of those open guys. Um, and, you know, Tariq Woolen, six, four matches up very well with Mike Williams. 
Um, I, I don't really know what their plan is going to be for Chris Godwin in the slot, but I think the Seahawks have some interesting matchup advantages on both sides of the ball. And I'm excited to see what Pete Carroll does in another, in you know, one is, what has been one of his best coaching seasons by far. Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah, like you mentioned, like I think the Seahawks probably have a slight advantage on both offense and defense, given how the Bucks defense has not been able to stop the run like they used to this year. And like that was kind of what held their defense together and like forced offenses to pass a lot more. Uh, I think this could be a big kind of locker game. So like what I want to, what I want to like figure out with you is ESPN FPI had 85% chance that the Bucks win this game. I want to like talk about some, like some like different like modeling techniques or like things that they did to like end up with the Buccaneers getting an 85% chance to win this game against CX. Because if you just use the preseason rankings, let's say like their, their preseason rankings didn't update there is rarely a time when you should ever have a, a team in the NFL having mm-hmm. an 85% chance to win. So I don't think it's that. Are, are there any other like explanations you can really think of for like how they arrived at that number? Not really. I think, you know, FBI has to heavily be folding in priors into their model. Like the, that's really the only way that this is working out because as of right now, I mean, the Seahawks on an offensive, like EPA per play standpoint, they're a top 10 offense. The Bucs are 21st in EPA per play, right, on offense. Like, And as we know, like the, the Seahawks defense is still like shows up pretty low and on, on defense. Bucks is a little bit higher, but offensive drives, offensive production usually drives uh, winning percentage and all that. So, I again, I, I don't know how quick they are to update their priors, but I'm sure the FPI had the Bucs pretty high up and the Seahawks pretty low uh, before the season started. And, and that's why, you know, they're still – heavily heavily favored by fpi i would love to bet with fps sportsbook uh, if given the chance <laughs> that would be really nice yeah and i think that's why like you know with the with the sportsbook thing like when you build like a betting model you want to have the spread as an input in that betting model you know there's i remember hearing yeah. a story one time about uh, a horse better who was who ended up being very successful who used you know a lot of metrics about the horses but also used the odds that the horses had to win the mm-hmm. race and in his in his you know, horse betting model, you want to use Vegas to beat Vegas, right? So when yeah. when people go about building their their betting models, like you, this like ESPN FBI, do, it looks like doesn't use the spread because that would number would have been pushed all the way down oh, yeah. to you know sixty five percent. So just really interesting, like how that that number got put out there. Um, but yeah, just wanted to talk about that. Yeah, um, yeah. So let's we can, we can move on into um uh, bears lines I'm, I'm gonna let you kick this off obviously you know lines are your team so let's let's hear what you have some thoughts about this game <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm pretty excited for this game um you know it's one o'clock game eastern time uh so it'll be it'll be a good kickoff after buck seahawks and i think like we're gonna see a lot of points in this game right so what aaron Rodgers was able to scramble three times on third and long against the lions uh, last week and every single time he got the first round and if that's washed Aaron Rodgers doing that I think Justin Fields as a scrambler as a rusher in this game could have one of the biggest rushing performances in the recent NFL history and he just had one last week against the Dolphins right so you know Fields yeah. has added the most value on scrambles this year you know when you use EPA it's it's more than Jalen Hurts it's more than Josh Allen and like w- when you just look at design rushes he had four design rushes in the three games before the Patriots in the games since the, the Patriots game, um, or including the Patriots game, 24 design rushes. And then he has 0.11 EPA per rush on those design rushes. So I think just with Khalil Herbert, Justin Fields, you know, this this Lions bad run defense and like the all the man coverage that they play that will have the Lions defensive backs turned around, Justin Fields could run for a ton of yards on, on this Lions defense and put up a lot of points. I, I agree. Um, and again, I, I think this is like, you know, you kind of bringing up those stats and what I'm about about to bring up is like why I think we're one of the more like unique football podcasts. That like, I think we can just provide insight that a few other podcasts can like. So the Bears, their best coverage when, you know, on offense that they go against has actually been cover one. So you know, I'll beat the, the Bears offense is, is not a very prolific offense They're You know, they don't rank very highly or they actually rank. 14th in EPA per play, but it's like 0.022, which is like not that great. But they've averaged a 0.049 EPA per play versus cover one. 
Lions run cover one about 28% of the time, which is a top five rate in the league. And when I was looking into Justin Fields and in in general, the Bears offense against cover one. So last week, Fields averaged a 0.184 EPA per play versus cover one versus Miami and a 0.906 EPA per play versus cover zero. So we talk about the two things the Lions, you know, have really uh, done a lot of it's play a lot of man right and the thing with man is you you don't have eyes on the quarterback like this could really be bad for the Lions defense if they keep up this heavy man usage I'm curious if you think Aaron Glenn switches it up because we talked about it on our, on our review show uh, they played a decent amount of quarters and covered three against the Packers I wonder if you think that kind of signals a shift for the rest of the season or they go back into this man heavy scheme just because the Bears receivers aren't that great that's that's a really good point because, you know, when you fire defensive back coach Aubrey Pleasant, you start to see maybe he was having a lot of effect on the heavy man coverage that was being played in the first game without him. You know, we see like some pretty big contributions from defensive backs like Kirby Joseph and Jerry Jacobs, and they maybe are being put into better positions to succeed. And the Bears offense has, you know, kind of like a similar setup to the Packers offense that the Lions saw last week where you're not going to, you don't have a single number one receiver that can like beat, you know, your corners, uh, you know, if you were to play uh, some, a, a riskier coverage. And like, I think we do see a similar game plan from the Lions defense coverage wise to what the, they put out against the Packers last week with more zone. I, I, I think we do see the shift, like you mentioned. Yeah, that, that's good then. And I think the, those are things you want to see, like how Aaron Glenn is adapting. You know, he did, he didn't have the greatest starts of the season, obviously, but it's, it's still a long season and he is working with a lot of young guys on, on rookie contracts. So there's no like real, you know, reason to get over, you know, overworked about this. But yeah, I think the way this game comes down to is, is just who can stop the run. Um, So like you brought up, like Detroit has kind of just been really bad against quarterbacks this year. They've actually allowed the fourth most rushing yards versus quarterbacks, 225 yards to be precise. Um, and you know Chicago on the flip side, not a very good run defense either. Like they performed well versus Miami last week, but Miami's run defense has been horrendous for most of the year. So you know Jared Goff has had its moments, um, has had his moments in in spurts this year. He won't have like a fully healthy offense, right? Because especially with that T.J. Hawkinson, he's really down to just Amon Ross St. Brown and and Josh Reynolds as his main guys. Uh, I, I don't even understand the split between DeAndre Swift and James, uh, Jamal Williams anymore. So I'm curious, do you think the, the Lions have an advantage in the passing game this this week? And we kind of talked about how insert, like you felt you felt optimistic in certain weeks. And I wonder if that continues this week. I, I feel cautious optimism this week about the Lions offense. I think when you're going up against a Bears defense that trade away Robert Quinn, trade away Roquan Smith, those are the two backbones of your defense. And, you know, we've just seen them get absolutely torched these Past couple of weeks, if you're a Bears fan, I think this is the best case outcome. You you keep seeing Fields play well. You keep seeing a better draft pick uh, as, as you inch closer to the end of the season. But, you know, again, like, you know, something that worries me, like I, we usually don't like using splits like this, but this is like an actual split I think is real. Dome Jared Goff or Jared Goff at home versus outdoors away Jared Goff is like an actual thing. Like this has been something that's followed him his whole career. Like if you look at, the best year of his career, 2018, uh, when he was on the Rams, they go into Chicago Sunday night. It's cold. Yeah. He's outdoors. And he has one of the worst <laughs> games of his whole career, right? And the worst game of this year was outdoor against the Patriots. So, like, that's that's the thing that worries me. I think the Lions will be able to run the ball pretty well in this game as Swift works his way back into the lineup and, you know, gets more conditioned to playing more of a full game. But And I think Ahmad Ross St. Brown will be able to find soft spots over the middle of the field as always, because no Roquan Smith is there, their linebackers are really weak. But Goff just, when it comes down to making like a couple throws in the second half where he's really struggled this year, is what worries me about him going forward. And I think that's why like the Bears will probably have Fields' legs to be able to convert like a, cri a critical third down conversion if needed. But Goff doesn't have that. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so yeah, that, I think that was, a, that's going to be a pretty fun game this weekend, a game that I was pretty excited for, but not as much, um, Vikings bills. I don't like, we, you know, I caught when just thinking about this game before we recorded, like I was thinking about like what, like how to approach this game. And I just like, don't know how to do it with 
uh, Case Keenum being the likely starting quarterback for the Bills. So I think like we kind of talked about it. I think our this our preview for this game is best suited for how do you play a game with a backup quarterback? And especially when you have a backup quarterback with a significant drop off from Josh Allen to Case Keenum. So um, do you want to do you want to kick it off first? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think you have to approach it how the Patriots and the Cowboys approached having their backup quarterback this year when, you know, the Cowboys went from Dak Prescott to Cooper Rush. They completely simplified the offense. It was a very first mm-hmm. read based offense, you know, a lot more play action than Dak was used to running a lot more boots. When uh, the, the Patriots went from Mac Jones to Bailey Zappi, their play action rate doubled, right? And their, their yeah. average depth of target went from top five in the league to bottom five. And so that's what you have to do when you have a backup quarterback. Keep everything as simple as possible. They're not going to have as many reps with these first-team receivers, first-team offensive linemen, like the starting quarterback is, is used to. So, you know, keep you know taking your medicine, having your five, six-yard passes, a lot of play action where they can boot out and they don't have to worry much about pressure. And I think, you know, that's really how the, the Bills should approach this game with Case Keenum. And they're, they're going to have to lean on the run game eventually because you can see the Bills, yeah. when they start to panic, uh, in, in some of their losses, they completely go away from the run game. It's just Josh Allen's legs. Well, if yeah. he's not playing this game, they're not going to have that opportunity. So, like, lean more on the run game, use your play action, and keep your average up the target lower. And I, I think, you know, you could have some success. Yeah, I love all those points. Um, I, I I think the run game was my biggest thing. Um, obviously, with Josh Allen, you don't want to be running as much. But with Keenum, I think it's kind of a necessity. So, Interestingly enough, the the Vikings have the lowest box counts on early downs of any team in the NFL this year on defense. Um, so because of that, like you, if you're the Bills, you you like they're gonna invite you to run, and like you kind of have to take it because you know Keenum is probably not gonna be able to do much with his arm, like unless he surprises, like unless and that's and the only way I think he surprises is if you know, they do exactly what you were suggesting, which is you you simplify the offense down to play actions, uh, a lot of boots, a lot of like Keenum using his legs, even if he's not that mobile, like just keep the defense on on his toes. Because like the Bills offensive line is, has looked susceptible this year. Like they allowed, I think, five sacks to the Jets D-line. And the Vikings, Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith might be one of the best edge duos in the league this year. Like Zadarius Smith has been an absolute steal for the Vikings at his, at his price, right? Spencer Brown is, you know, second year guy out of Northern Iowa. Like he's not the greatest like pass protector in the world. I think Deion Dawkins can hold his own on the left side, but the the Bills are going to have to really simplify this offense down. And honestly, like they're going to have to either force feed digs or be able to run the ball effectively. But I mean, their their run game has not been good this year, uh, ranking like 24th in EP per rush. Uh, and uh, kind of like near the middle of the pack or like a little bit higher up when it comes to success rate. But when you, when you think about success rate, right, like that is mainly because of Josh Allen, wouldn't you agree? Like mm-hmm. his yeah. rushing ability, his gravity on the field, as you and Eric Eager have kind of outlined, like that is kind of what has buoyed their rushing success rate. But obviously they're, they rank pretty low in EPA per rush just because of extraneous factors, like not converting in the red zone and, and fourth down. Yeah. No, that, that's a really good point. And, you know, Josh Allen's gravity is one thing when he hands the ball off, but he also has the highest rate of runs that are positive rushing yards over expected in the league. Mm-hmm. So he, when, when, when he is off on a design run, he doesn't, you know, you lose like what's blocked for him. Like he usually gets like over what's that. So when you lose that in this game, that's your best rushing threat right there with Josh Allen. And like, that's going to be pretty critical, I think for the the Bills offense and like yeah like you mentioned I think like this is gonna be another big Zedarius Smith game uh you know if we have Case Keenum there I think he's been like phenomenal this year like you know should be in the defensive player of the year conversation but you know go to the other side of the ball yeah I think we finally get a real defense to gauge where the Vikings at are at on offense because we haven't really gotten that so far um you know the the one thing I think is is a really interesting angle of this game is the Bills, because of the way that they're able to get pressure with four, with their all-world defensive line, they blitz at the lowest rate in the league. Kirk yeah. Cousins is, you know, one of the worst quarterbacks against the blitz in the league. You know, he's taken the worst sacks in the league this year. His his sacks average a negative two point one EPA lost on that play, uh, which is which is bottom in the league. So he's he's been taking some bad sacks. I think defenses really blitz him in situations where they want to take him out of field goal range or in the red zone and stuff. So I'm curious to see if the blitz rate picks up 
for the Bills in this game, or they just kind of play their own game. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, you know, the Bills are one of the sharpest teams in the league. And I think they've, in years past, have done a good job of, like, adjusting their scheme to fit the needs of, like, whoever they're going against. And I think we could see that in this game. And, like, like we've talked about, like, in this game, if if the Bills close as underdogs, right, say one-and-a-half point underdogs, two-point underdogs, when you're the underdog, you kind of just want to inc- invite very vari- like increase variance, right? And I think blitzing is one of the ways of doing that. Playing the the whole man versus zone variance thing is is a whole another discussion, and we can probably continue <laughs> that in the off season because we've had some discussions off air about it. But blitzing definitely increases variance, and Cousins has not been that good against the blitz. I would feel more confident about the Bills blitzing if they had Tre'Davious White back, but you know that that's that's also a big part of like why I don't think they've been blitzing as much because they don't really have guys to hold up one-on-one. Uh, the last thing about this game, like I'm, I'm curious if like you were working on the Vikings or you're like part of their defensive staff or something like what, do, what do you think should be the game plan against Case Keenum? Because, you know, like I said, they have the lowest box, box counts on early downs in the league, but against Keenum, do you want to be stacking the box or still inviting them to run and, you know, kind of playing that off coverage that we were accustomed to seeing the Vikings playing? Yeah, that's this a great question. And I do think that you kind of go out of what you've done this whole year. Like, I think you you do start to stack the box. And the way I would approach that is by rotating safeties. I would start in a lot of too high pre-snap and I would rotate a safety down into the box. That way that safety is coming to stop the run because we expect the Bills to run more in this game than they usually do. But if they do decide to pass it, and let's say they're using play action where he has his back turned or you know his first read is suddenly taken away because the safety came down and took off a, yeah. a crossing route across the middle of the field, that's where you could really confuse a quarterback that doesn't have as much chemistry with his receivers that uh, you know, a starting quarterback does. So that, that's kind of how I would approach the game from, from the Vikings defensive staff. Yeah, I, I agree. Anything to just confuse Case Keenum um conf- you know don't show them the same looks pre and post snap and i think the vikings have done a great job of doing that they had the highest rate of too high pre-snap of any team in the league under ed donatel and again like vikings have even even if they might not if their record might not indicate that they're or if their record doesn't really show that they're a six one team they're not a six one six and one team it's just a seven and one team right we can kind of establish that but you know they've kind of shown the tendency to be able to win some of these games uh, in the clutch and also make adjustments when necessary. So really excited for this game because I think it'll be a good, t- a good test between two pretty sharp teams this year, but uh, let's move on to two teams moving in completely opposite directions. Cowboys going into green Bay, right? Um, I think this game is interesting for a number of reasons. Number one, like, you know, Dak Prescott is going to be in a different environment. Like we, I, I, I didn't really check the splits to see if he's a, you know, dome versus outside quarterback, but you know, Prescott going from playing in like AT&T Stadium in Dallas to going and playing in, you know, a cold weather environment in Green Bay. I think he could see some struggles there. But the Packers defense is just incredibly banged up right now, like losing Rash- mm-hmm. Rashawn Gary for the year, who was, you know, I think performing at a top five edge rusher level in, in the run and the pass was or ma- mainly in the past, but, you know, he held his own in the run game is, is critical. And then Eric Stokes is out. So you add another weak link into the Packers secondary and the Packers run defense is still one of the softest in the NFL, right? So like when considering that the the Cowboys have been running, I think more often than not, just because their passing game isn't as good with without any like without having many weapons, I think we could see a heavy dose of Zeke and Pollard, hopefully more Pollard than Zeke. But um I I am kind of concerned for the Packers defense in this game coming off a, you know, a not that bad performance against the Lions, but coming out of it pretty banged up and now going against a resurging Cowboys uh offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think like the point about the Packers like soft run defense is interesting because they've kind of had that every single year and they've been really good for for you know all all these years until this season. And I think like you know, when you look at how each factor of the game correlates with win percentage, it's something we talked about over the summer, like run defense yeah. is it's still positively correlated, but it's the least important out of the four different units that you can be good at. But it matters a lot for the Packers this year more than it has in the year past because they don't score on their first couple drives anymore like they used to when yeah. they had Devontae Adams. And when you go up 10-0, then teams aren't running the ball on you like they're, they're in higher expected pass situations. 
this year when the other team is going up 10-0 on you because you're not scoring on your first couple possessions, then they can kind of run the ball on you and control the whole rest of the game. So we, we really see the Packers, they have invested in run defense. Like it just hasn't worked out for them for a multitude of reasons, but them not being good at stopping the run affects them so much more this year. And I think yeah. like the Cowboys can really take advantage of that in this game because they are running the ball really well, especially with Tony Pollard. And that's something I wanted to bring up to you was, you know, what I, a lot of analytics people were very confident that let Russ Cook would work in Seattle because they thought that his efficiency should stay about the same as his pass rate increased. But we saw that to not be the case. It, it did work for a little bit, but eventually it fell off a cliff. Should we be treating the Zeke versus Pollard debate the same way or, or do you think that is a different situation that is that is a very good question and i i remember seeing a quote about this from i think jerry J or mike mccarthy where it's like pollard ripped off a 30 yard 40 or some huge run explosive run it comes off the field and goes to mccarthy and is like i'm i'm done i'm gassed like i you know i can't be put in for the rest of the game and like that's that's like the thing i think as as the public like we don't know about like and it's we we're always advocating Pollard should be getting more carries than Zeke but can his body really handle it right and that's that's the whole uh theory that as volume goes up efficiency goes down right like we've seen it with guys like Austin Eckler who you know to his credit has turned around turned it around after a pretty poor start to the season but if you look at his rushing yard over over expected numbers from 2017 to 2019 when he was in a timeshare with Melvin Gordon to 2020 to 2022 it's pretty stark like it is pretty stark yeah. and i think that is the exact situation pollard's in where he's obviously the more efficient back than zeke who's who's a little bit more built and and you know used in the goal line in goal line situations but can he really handle 18 carries uh, a game or 16 carries a game or touches over the course of a season and i think the answer is no like this we have to remember like this is a former receiver turned running back he doesn't have the uh experience of all the wear and tear on his body he doesn't have the experience of of you know of getting all those touches a game and and hit, getting hit by defense alignment he was getting hit by cornerbacks and safeties in college right now he's getting hit by mm -hmm. huge 300 pound d tackles so i think while he might be more efficient i think the cowboys might be doing a good job of just of handling a split between them even if right now it's it's not optimal but those those optimal rates are something that as football fans, like we are always clamoring for, and I just don't know if there's a great way of figuring it out in the public sphere, public sphere. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah that was as perfect as explanation. I think you can have there. I, I, yeah, I do think there's, you know, a lot of signal in volume with this yeah. type of situation where like, obviously like I'm a, I'm a big Pollard fan. I think he's like literally the most explosive running back in the league, but he does it on half the amount of carries that, uh, you know, true, uh, workhorse running backs, Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, do it on. So it allows him to be more explosive, I think. And like the Cowboys have found a good balance with that. And I think that's kind of like where they'll probably stay the rest of the season. What I want to see is if Odell Beckham Jr., who's available, you know, getting to a point where he's going to be cleared to play, if he's able to join this Cowboys offense, I think he could provide so much juice, just like he did to what, what he did at the Rams last year, where it's a lot of the backside concept, right? Because you can have yeah. a, a CD Lamb, a Dalton Schultz on your front side concept, especially when Dak um, is on the boots that he's so good on. But when when you have someone who can win against man coverage on the backside and be your your third read if you have to, I think like I think this is probably like the best situation for him to go. Maybe Buffalo, but if not, like if I was OBJ, I think I would go to Dallas this year just because of everything that they have going for them. And you can take advantage of of a weak NFC and and kind of try to make another Super Bowl run. What do you think? Yeah, OBJ is uh, you know probably going to be the hottest commodity when it comes to December when he's fully healthy. But I think Dallas would be a good spot for him. The the only problem about it would kind of be you know Dallas isn't throwing the balls I think as much as they used to, so his value might not be as high, but. They they would go back to having a pretty scary receiving room with CD OBJ and, and Gallup if they if they go get him and you know I think he would be a huge help in the playoffs. Um, but I do I do get worried for his knee playing inside another dome on a turf field, which always seems to rack up ACL injuries or that's what NFL players make it seem like a uh, higher than grass fields. But you can't really predict those kind of things, and I think you have to go and get the player in in a year where the NFC is kind of wide open, even with the Eagles performing the way that they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you know, the I I agree with that. And like the Packers, like 
the the annual report every year where they just where they put out like oh we just miss out on getting you know the the highest <laughs> receiver available on the market like it's a it's a yearly tradition at this point like that's why like I was a little surprised that they like actually like didn't end up trading for like a DJ Moore or Chase Claypool um you know I thought maybe they would have pushed their chips a little bit further in yeah um you know even even if they might have tried and like I feel like just like that one receiver that could have made everyone like slide down a spot and put Lazard as the wide receiver too could have helped so much for them but you know they they didn't do that and like that's why you know when when the the Cowboys are are gonna like stunt like crazy in this game yeah. you know Dan Quinn is gonna is gonna cook up a lot of things and I think like a Packers interior offensive line that isn't playing well um Rodgers is inviting you know a decent amount of pressure himself and then he's not just trusting any receivers like I think you know the the Cowboys defense can can really take advantage of a a Packers team that is, you know, missing just a lot of receiving talent or just talent in general this year. Yeah. Um, and a last point about this game, we've kind of talked about how the the Cowboys pass defense has kind of been a surprise for us this year. Diggs hasn't really regressed the way we all thought he would. The Green Bay offense has been, has faced a perfect coverage rate um, on offense by the opposing defense at an above a league average clip on in seven of their nine games. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to continue this week with, you know, Diggs kind of locking down whoever he's guarding. And I think the Cowboys defense, we didn't really talk too much about it, but I think the Cowboys defense is going to cause hell uh, for this Packers offense, whether yeah. it be on the back end or with how much they stunt over expected. And I don't, I don't really know if Aaron Rodgers has the the juice and the kind of like mental uh, fortitude to kind of win the Packers this game as he, as he would in years past. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to, uh, the Sunday night game, your Chargers, San Francisco 49ers, big spread <laughs> on this game um, for, yeah. for the 49ers in the 49ers direction. Let, you know, like, let's have you kick it off and, and kind of feel like what, what you're going uh, through in this game. Yeah, I think like with this game, it's, it's just the, the 49ers present such a tough matchup for the Chargers. Like everything that they're good at or like to do, the Chargers just struggle at. Um, there's pretty much three big mismatches that I identified on Twitter and I, I just can't figure out which is the biggest mismatch. So I'm going to let you pick. So first we have uh, Christian McCaffrey versus Kenneth Murray. When Kenneth Murray's in man coverage, you and me watched the Las Vegas Raiders versus Chargers game last year and saw Kenneth Murray as the dimebacker. And he was, you know, just awful. Second, we have Nick Bosa versus not Storm Norton, Foster Sarrell, who's the backup, <laughs> who is the practice squad right tackle, right? And three, Debo Samuel in open space versus Nasir Adderley, who has had a pretty bad year, you know, tackling-wise. I, I just can't figure out what's the biggest mismatch, so I'm going to let you pick up the three. The fact that there's three mismatches, I think, is is a really bad sign for the Chargers, but I have to go with Nick Bosa versus the practice squad tackle, yeah. Foster Sorrell. Um you know, just because like Nick Bosa is a top three pass rusher this year, like you know, kind of kind of as usual. When you're when you have that big of a loss at the uh, at the tackle position, where you're going from you know someone who's at least playable to someone you've ne- really never seen before, like that's like what like these defensive ends want to feast on, and I, I think like that that could be really ugly. Like the good news for the Chargers is Herbert has the lowest pressure to sack ratio in yeah. the league right so if, if there were any quarterback that could like overcome Nick Bosa being you know in in the backfield the entire game I think I think it could be Herbert but it's just gonna be so much to overcome because of the other mismatches that you mentioned as well yeah it's look I I thought this was gonna be a great game before the season um I'm I've definitely like kind of like emotionally like understood what's probably gonna happen in this game I think the biggest like problem for me also is like the the 49ers coming off a bye like they're they're going to be able to take advantage of really a, like a really banged up Chargers def- like defense and offense like I think people are are kind of like underestimating like how banged up the Chargers are like it, they don't have any receivers they don't they just lost their best run stuffer Austin Johnson to a season ending knee injury they you know per your rushing yards over expected model they're when teams rush against them on designed runs, they're expected to gain 7.71 yards, which is almost a full two yards above the next highest team. Like 
that is like that that just shows how bad this run defense is and like they go out and spend all this money they have another year in the system i thought it was going to change and it, just like nothing nothing's really changed which which kind of sucks the other thing that like really scares me like about this game is the chargers have started slow in every game post like in the past four games so these are the these are the final scores of the first quarter from the Chargers' last four games, okay? Against um, against the Falcons, it was uh, 10-0. 17-0 against the Seahawks. 10-0 versus the Broncos. And 14-3 versus the Browns, right? So, like, these, mm-hmm. like, they have started slow in almost in almost every game. Now, that, that means they're putting Herbert in these kind of, like, expected pass situations, right? Now you can get away with being in expected pass situations versus the Falcons versus the Seahawks versus the Browns. What you can't be get away with is expected pass situations versus the 49ers. Mm-hmm. One of the most physical defenses, one of the best defenses in the NFL. The 49ers have the um ninth highest or ninth lowest EPA per uh play in expected pass situations this year. Expect that number to probably expect that rank to probably go up against the Chargers <laughs> unit. That's going to be starting Josh Palmer, Michael Bandy, and DeAndre Carter, right? Like that's the problem with the Chargers offense is there's just no receivers anywhere for Herbert to throw to. And I think that continues this week. So, you know, as, as much as I would love the Chargers to be on prime time, I'm just, you know, this is not a, this is probably going to go the wrong way. And th- there's a reason this game has been steamed out from four and a half, Niners four and a half to now Niners minus seven. Hmm. Yeah, I know it's, I, I do think it'll be, you know, a, a battle for, for the Chargers, but, you know, when, when you kind of like look at like maybe like areas where they have an advantage, I think, you know, they, they could take advantage of uh, Austin Eckler's, you know, receiving ability when Fred Warner gets matched off of him. So like, I, I might be putting a little too much faith in Joe Lombardi here, but like, <laughs> if you can use, <laughs> if you can use pre-snap motion or jet motion, you know, at the time of the snap to get Fred Warner flowing in the opposite direction of where you want Austin Eckler to go, I do think, you know, he is the best. Uh, probably receiving talent that the Chargers are going to be rolling out in this game, but that's that's like really kind of like my only solution for them. Other than that, it's I think it's going to be very very difficult to if they go down early, kind of get back against the Chargers because or get back against the 49ers because like this is Kyle Shanahan's dream game, right? Like having Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel against the worst rushing defense in the NFL. Like when if if the 49ers were to go up 10-0 at the end of the first quarter, he might not pass again. Like, he might not yeah. want to give Jimmy Garoppolo an opportunity to, and, like, they should be able to run out the, the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm exaggerating there, but, yeah, it's a, that's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, you're not wrong. And, again, like, the chart, even if they don't run it as much, I think it's just going to be anytime Kyle sees that, like, Kenneth Murray or Drew Tranquil, who's been having a great year when blitzing in, uh, in the run defense, but – when either of the Chargers linebackers gets massed up on Christian McCaffrey, that should be an auto, uh, um, audible to an angle route, to a Texas route, to an option route. Just get McCaffrey the ball and, and let him cook the Chargers linebackers. That's what the Jaguars did in Week Three with Travis Etienne. He only had 30 receiving yards, but the Jaguars were playing with their you know foot off the pedal for most of the game there. Um, and I think we could see the 49ers take advantage of the Chargers there. And again, like I, I kind of looked at Kyle Shanahan off a of bye. It's not like that. There's no like real signal there. So maybe he, you know, I don't know what he was cooking up over the bye week, but um, like Chargers, again, just down more guys due to injury. And, you know, the uh, they they just lost, uh, again, their best run stuff in Austin Johnson. So I think it's going to be a dog fight. Um, but you know, I, I'm saying hopeful, but I, I, I think I kind of already know what the result of this game is going to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll hope. And, you know, Kyle Shannon off a of bye is funny. I always think about like that visual that John Lynch gave when they like went and watched Trey Lance's pro day and he's he's like oh like on the plane ride back like Kyle was on his iPad like drawing up like all these different plays he could do with Trey Lance it it just reminded me of like those like little kids at the airport that are just like on their on their iPads the whole time (laughs) Uh, that that John Lynch grew up so I'm sure you know Kyle was doing something like that while he was uh while while he was on the bye week this week and just getting really excited about how he can use McCaffrey and Devo Samuel uh you know on the field at the same time um against against this defense but We'll see. Uh, so, so those were all the the game previews that we had to do. Uh, we will now get into our bets of the week and, and hope to bounce back after a uh, lock of the week that that didn't hit last week. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So just to recap, last week we didn't give out bets because Arjun wasn't on the podcast and Sam isn't allowed to talk uh, betting since he's an NFL employee. But, you know, I still... In our like Michigan Football Analytics Society chat, I still uh, was asked like what what the lock of the week was if I had to pick one. And I did give out Green Bay minus three and a half, which I you know I think if they play that game a hundred times, Green Bay covers about like seventy or eighty of those. You know the, the fluky interceptions don't happen, but that's okay. Like, well, it wasn't official bet, so it didn't get marked on on our sheet or anything. But you know that just was something that wasn't good. So you know why don't you kick us off with uh, with with the first bet that you have. Yeah, I, I really like Cowboys minus four and a half in this spot. Um, we, we kind of already touched on it, but the Cowboys defense presents some serious mismatches for the Packers. I doubt the Packers are going to have anyone that's going to be able to get open. They The Packers do have one of the, they have a an above average rate of their plays being perfectly covered on offense. And the Cowboys are an above average defense at perfectly covering plays. So I think that continues this week. Um, the the Cowboys D line is is still one of the best in the NFL, and and I, I I don't think we're seeing the same Aaron Rodgers like a lot even like a lot of Packers Twitter I think in my eyes have kind of not given up on Aaron Rodgers but start are starting to kind of get worried about him and I think the Cowboys kind of put a dent in that uh in that Hall of Fame legacy so I, I like the Cowboys going on the road here and I think they handle business and you know what should be a pretty fun game uh, in Green Bay yeah. No, I, I really like this one. Yeah, like if you're like a you know all time great quarterback, or like one of the one of the best, like just kind of like just like they gotta learn to just retire like at like their the the start of the end for them instead of like the end yeah. of the end. Like if you're Drew Brees, like you should have retired a year earlier. You know, uh, Peyton Manning like won a Super Bowl in his last year, but he wasn't playing well. Brady and Rogers this year have kind of become villains. Like just like kind of learn how to retire early. Um, but I I know they love the game. Like I I you know if you ask me to get off this podcast. Uh, when I got older, like, I don't know if I'd be able to. So um, <laughs> I, I understand. Uh, okay, so I like, I, I mean, I like Raiders four and a half in this game, if you want to take that. But like, the, the the real bet I like is Raiders minus three first half. When you look at their first half splits, the Raiders rank 11th in offensive EPA per play in the first half. The Colts rank 32nd. Um, Sam Ellinger, you know, just had one of the worst starts of the entire season and from, from any quarterback. And like, so the Colts are probably going to try to lean on the the run in this game because like they don't want Ellinger to pass and like that's where the Raiders defense has been taking advantage of this year. Raiders defense has been top ten at defending the run. Like they can they can actually stop the run. And like we have to bring up like the coaching angle in this game. Like you have Jeff Saturday who had a losing record coaching high school, or maybe it was one game above five hundred or something. And now you're just dropping him from a high school coaching staff to an NFL coaching staff on a short week where he got into the facility at like Monday or mm-hmm. Tuesday instead of having the whole week to prepare. I think like in the first half, like there's just going to be so much going on that he's not going to be able to exactly like know what to do. I'm sure there's so many things that they have NFL coaches do that he's he's just not going to be able to handle. Like maybe he'll be a, a good coach eventually, but this first game is going to be really rough for him. And I think the Raiders will take advantage of that and go up big and then maybe blow the lead like they do every week. But um, I, I at least like them you know, yeah. minus three in the first half. Yeah. the I love that you're hopping into the, some of these derivative markets. <laughs> I think those at times can be the play and, you know, just some supporting stuff with that. The The only pushback I'd have here is, you know, Waller and Renfro won't be playing, but I, you know, Devontae's kind of handled business on his own for most of the year. And I think that can continue. Um, Colts also have not covered a first half spread at all. In this year, they're zero and nine in the first half against the spread, so um, that could potentially continue this week as well. I'm also going to be giving out a derivative bet. I love the Eagles minus six and a half first half. Eagles first half has kind of been my bread and butter since like week four. I've gone back to it every week, and while they didn't cash last week against the Texans, um, you know, there's no harm in going back to it, especially in a spot where all the data lines up. So Eagles uh, currently rank number one in offense and defensive EPA per play and EPA per play allowed in the first mm-hmm. half, 
while the commanders um, rank 30th in offensive EP per play and 12th in defensive EP per play allowed in the first half. So a lot of, you know, Eagles dominating in the first half, commanders not doing anything on offense, even with Heineke or with Wentz. Um, I think that pot- uh, potentially continues this week. Eagles at home, divisional matchup, prime time. I think they come out guns a-blazing, showing, you know, the world they're probably the best team in the NFL right now. Um, and the the only, you know, thing to worry about is the, the Eagles run defenses look kind of suspect, but I'm not worried at all about Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson Jr. And if, if the commanders want to drop back and pass, like I give the Eagles the talent advantage on the outside mm-hmm. with uh, Darius Slay and James Bradbury, Avante Maddox, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. So love the Eagles a minus six and a half in this spot and going back to our boys in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love it, you know. The, the wagon lost one wheel last week, but you said on the forecast, it, you know, only needs three wheels to keep going. So I, I do like going back to Eagles first half. It's been very successful for both of us this year. And uh, and hopefully it will be on Sunday or Monday. Um, Monday. And then, you know, we, we previewed this game. Seahawks plus three is, is the bet I like against the Buccaneers. All the things, you know, we talked about, we think that Seahawks have the advantage on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, again, like the Seahawks defense since week four ranks ninth in the EPA per play. The Bucks have ranked 22nd. Geno Smith, you know, the Seahawks probably have a quarterback advantage in this game. You know, he ranks seventh in the EPA per play on the season. Brady ranks 15th. So when you can have probably the better passing game and, you know, a defense that has been playing better recently, I think, you know, I, I, I like the Seahawks in this game at plus three. And, you know, I, I, I hope that we get like a pretty good uh, game in, in Germany there to kick us off in the morning. Yeah, I, I agree. And this is one I've already bet. I bet it at like my plus two and I think it's moved against me a little bit. Like I at this point, we're kind of like people who are betting the Bucks are betting the Bucks because their model is telling them to. Like mm-hmm. their and their models are probably incorporating priors as, as strong as Vegas is, right? Like yeah. Like right now the Seahawks are playing fundamentally better than the than the Bucks. And they're doing so, I think, on both sides of the ball, as you kind of outlined in like your and how they're performing since week five on defense, right? Like and as some of their rookies get more playing time. So I love that pick at a plus three. Um, it could be plus two and a half in a couple of places. Make sure to shop around and try to get the best price. You could potentially take the money line here, but I think going with the points is safer. And especially for us, we want to try to hit as many pick as hit on as many picks as we can. So in terms of our lock for the week, I you know, I think it it could it should come down to Eagles first half or or uh the Seahawks. What are you thinking here? I think let's do uh, Eagles first half because like, you know, Monday night game, I feel like that'll give us something to root for in a game that, uh, yeah. you know, I, it would be a skippable game, you know, for me or for a lot of people. So if a lot of people want to tail us on the bet or, you know, fade the lock of the week, like our, our friends uh, make fun of us for too. Like either way, just, yeah. just put something down in that game. Um, so let's, let's go with Eagles first half minus six and a half as the lock. There we go. So uh eagles please do your job <laughs> yeah, we're, <laughs> we're counting on you we have friends in that building and we're we're expecting a, a blowout in the first half but um you know thank you everyone for listening you know again this is this drops up another fun episode really excited to continue to do this every week twice a week for you guys um if you have any recommendations or want us to improve on anything make sure to hit us up in our dms but you know again thank you all for listening and until next time i'll take the points